Welcome to the Grace Community Church Podcast. We are grace for everyone, community for everyone, church for everyone. We hope that as you listen to the message from this past Sunday, that your heart is encouraged and you find yourself being drawn to Jesus wherever you're tuning in from. We are so grateful that you've joined us and pray that you'll be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Hey friends, one of my favorite Canadian bands of all time hails from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Can you guess the band just with that one clue? I would imagine most of you can't. I'll give you another. Um, Back in my high school days, so they've been around that long, you would hear the tune Underwhelmed blasting from the speakers of my 1980 Subaru station wagon. Does clue number two give it to you yet? Some of you may have it by now. Some of you are invested enough that you're you know, trying to Google underwhelmed at this moment. Uh, the bass player is one of the lead singers. The band has multiple lead singers. Maybe that helps. I'm just gonna give it to you if you haven't guessed it by now. The band is Sloan. Um, if, you, if you did guess it, you know, text me later, you'll, I'll get you some sort of prize. Um, but I've loved Sloan since I was in high school. And one of their tunes was rolling around in my head all week as I was reading through 1 Peter chapter 3. The good in everyone. You see the good in everyone. Uh, It's such a great tune. Um, And you'll see why it was rolling around in my head in a minute. Because we're in the middle of our short summer series, Living Hope in a World that is Not Our Home, where we've been sitting with the letter of 1 Peter. And I hope you've had the chance to read through at least the first couple of chapters a few times over these last number of weeks. And, And maybe you've read through the whole letter. Maybe you've gotten a little bit ahead of us and read all five chapters. But I find it a really helpful way to engage with the text by taking some time, like significant time, to just slow down and and chew through a large portion. In this case, it's it's just a five-chapter letter, but rather than just jumping around from verse to verse to actually read through the context, to read the whole letter maybe in one sitting, maybe just settle into one chapter at a time and really allow those words to kind of mull over in our hearts and minds. It's, it's, it's fun to find those verses that like really jump out and speak to us, but I don't know that it's all that helpful to only read scripture that way when we're looking for you know, little bits of inspiration. It's, it's helpful for us to, to really wrestle with the text and allow it to wrestle with us to really sit in and sit with the words of the apostle as he writes to encourage these scattered believers. In the, in the first chapter, he speaks of being strangers in this world or, or aliens as, as people who recognize that this world is not our home. That this is not the, the full scope of the story, that it's ultimately a much larger story than you know, the handful of decades that we're going to live on this earth. We were created for eternity. And while this world matters immensely, when we face struggles and trials, we're reminded that this is not, this is not the end of the story. It's one of the primary reasons that I read scripture daily, because somehow, by, by God's spirit, uh, those words 
can change my perspective or convict my heart or, or turn my eyes in a different direction. It causes my focus to be more on his goodness and his kingdom, and his mercy. The, the, the word of God, which, which comes to us when we settle into the text, is living and active. It has the power to shape us if we'll allow it. So, so I hope that you've had a chance to start settling into this. And, and if you haven't, it's not too late to start. Last week, we read these words that my hope was that they would kind of ring through the rest of your week, that you were a chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light that you had the opportunity through this last week to live out your faith in proximity to people who might be curious about the Jesus that lives in you. And so this week we're going to continue digging into this letter and we're, we're kind of in the middle chapter of the letter and sort of in the middle of some of Peter's thoughts for these believers. And, and before we get into the, sort of the meat of uh, chapter 3, we have a continuation of the discussion that Peter's been in since last week. He was talking about submitting to authorities, talking about slaves submitting to their masters, and, and now we're going to turn to husbands and wives and language of submission um, in the marriage relationship. So we're going we're gonna to pick up the letter in verse 1 of chapter 3, but it's kind of tied into where we ended off in chapter 2 last week. We read, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. <laughs> I'd be curious to test the blood pressure of some of you in this moment, wondering where in the world is... Are we going to go with this particular passage? Well, again, to start, it's really helpful to remember that we're reading someone else's mail. Understanding that this context helps us navigate what on the surface may seem like some antiquated and outdated ideas. Remember, Peter is writing in the first century to scattered believers throughout the provinces of Asia. And as hard as it might be to believe, this passage would have been progressive and mind-blowing at the time. The idea that a wife could have any influence over her husband and that a husband should be instructed to be considerate and caring of his wife would have been, uh, would have been upsetting the apple cart a little bit when it comes to household codes in the day. Because in the culture, not dissimilar today, women would show their value by their outward appearance. They, by their hairstyle, by the clothes that they wore, by the jewelry that they wore, you could tell what sort of status a woman had and how much worth she had. And Peter is suggesting here that the, the character and the, and the heart are the things that really matter. That's where the secret to beauty is found. And likewise, 
men were uh, able to treat their women as less than, as property even in some cases. And, and Peter encourages them, no, 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 treat them with respect. Treat them as equals. Treat them as the one who you've been partnered with uh, in order to experience God's goodness. And that if you do so, your prayers won't be hindered. If we get snagged up on some of the words like submission and weaker partner, we, we, we miss out on what, what Peter was trying to get across here. We have to be careful of, you know, I mentioned it last week, of anachronism or, or presentism, where we, we take our current understanding or our current um, belief around equality between the sexes and try to place that onto uh, an ancient text. It's, it's not helpful, nor is, it, um, nor is it true to the text to be bringing what we have now up against the text and then either dismissing or trying to read into uh, the text stuff that doesn't exist there. So we miss the leap forward that Peter was trying to make here. If we go like, well, Peter didn't see people as equals. This is really, uh, this is really misogynistic language and sexist language. And, and, and while it's true from our perspective that that on, on the surface is what it looks like, Peter is actually taking a huge leap forward as in focusing on the, the couple as equals and on, on this idea of mutual submission and, and the motivation of the heart. So in the same way that we no longer use scripture to support slavery, like we talked about last week, using texts like this to promote some sort of hierarchy in marriage, which does happen, isn't helpful. And it's not really what Peter was actually getting at. Focusing on submission and the weaker partner, that sort of language is completely missing the point of the passage. Peter's not trying to set up a model for Christian homes where the husband rules over his submissive and modest wife. That's not what the message is here. He's not, he's also not trying to create some sort of dress code for biblical womanhood, like saying that like, don't, don't worry about the hairstyles and don't like, don't get your nails done. Don't wear fancy jewelry. Like modest is the hottest. Like that's not what Peter is saying here. He's turning the focus of what would have been in the culture of the outward appearance back onto what really matters. And he's doing it for both of them. He's saying the way that you treat your wife is what really matters. It's not about what your position is or what your job is. It's like, husbands, you should treat your wife with respect. You should be um, honoring her and take notice of the work of God in her life. It, it's the, the idea that the, the inner workings of our lives will actually influence the people around us. That the point is about other people seeing Jesus in us. And purity culture has done a bit of a number on us with some of this stuff. We read into this, you know, the idea that modest is hottest or that, you know, somehow Peter is saying that like women shouldn't have, you know, jewelry or fancy clothes or, or fancy hair. Many of us probably have some baggage to unpack when it comes to that. And that's why your blood pressure might've been up when we first read through it. But if we look at the context, if we look at what Peter was encouraging people to do is to live as strangers, to live differently than the world around them, to be people of living hope. Peter is encouraging in this moment, couples to live out the good news right where they are. And for those couples where one spouse is believing and the other one isn't yet, that that it is going to be the character of their heart. It's going to be the way that they um, treat one another that is going to be the greatest example of Jesus transforming their own lives. So it ties back to the encouragement from the chapter before where it says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Again, that's 
the motivation. That's why it's helpful to read scripture in larger sections rather than just cherry picking a verse or two. It's why we need to remember we're reading someone else's mail and doing the work of interpretation is key to understanding how to apply texts like this to our situation. Because what Peter was giving to the believers at that time would have been a completely foreign like step forward into uh, a mutual understanding of uh, men and equal men and women being equal in the relationship. Let's carry on. We're going to pick up in verse 8. We could probably spend too much time here uh, today, but picking up at verse 8 says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. All of you. This is tying back to the like slaves obeying your master and everyone obeying the authorities and husbands and wives in this idea of looking out for one another. This is what they are called to do. Love one another. Be gracious to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Be compassionate and humble. And we could probably camp all day on verses like that. Asking ourselves, do I? Do I live in harmony with others? Am I sympathetic? Am I compassionate and humble? Because in, Peter here encourages the believers to do good, to not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but always blessing, always love, always grace. And, and there's a huge challenge in that, isn't there? In our relationships with those people that we're closest to, whether it's family and friends, to always choose blessing, to always choose life, to, to live in harmony with one another, but then to expand that beyond our you know, immediate family into the extended family and neighbors and co-workers and then the jerks on the street, like to, to always choose love, to not repay evil with evil, but to repay with blessing, always blessing, to do good not harm. He he quotes again Psalm 34 where in verses 11 to 14 of Psalm 34 it says, come my children listen to me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I'll teach you how to walk in his ways. He says, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Keep your tongue from evil your lips from telling lies, turn from evil and do good. This is the, if you catch anything out of this uh, chapter three, it's this, it's do good, seek peace, pursue it, be humble, be considerate, be compassionate. That's really good advice for us today, not just for those in the first century that Peter's writing to, to be humble and considerate and compassionate, not repaying evil with evil or insult with insult. Show others a better way. Let's wrap up the chapter together. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Those first two lines have influenced my approach to sharing my faith perhaps more than any other in Scripture. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to have an answer. I I, I love that idea of like, it should always be on the tip of your tongue to share the goodness of God with others. But the next piece has always been key to me, to everyone who asks you. I think there's two potential follies when it comes to sharing our faith, to telling other people the good news about Jesus. On one hand, it's to tell people answers to questions they aren't even asking. Like loudly proclaiming the truth when someone isn't ready to hear it or isn't even seeking those answers. An extreme example of this is, you know, people who are standing on street corners with signs that say turn or burn or repent and be saved, you know, maybe standing there, you know, preaching on the street corner to people as they walk by who are just completely tuning out the message that's being proclaimed. Every year at a music trade show that I go to, there's at least one person standing outside the massive convention center on a box shouting into a megaphone to you know all of the heathen that are going into that show uh, uh, to turn from their wicked ways and to to come to know um, to come to know Jesus and to bend their knee and, and I'm pretty sure it's not working. Most of the people who walk by either mock or or just ignore completely. A slightly less extreme example to that might be, and and in my opinion, no less ineffective, is when we expect people who do not know and love Jesus yet to suddenly change their mind about something because we quote a Bible verse at them. That if we just declare that this is the way God says it needs to be, whether the arguments around abortion or conversations around sexuality and gender, like simply declaring the truth isn't likely to draw people to Jesus. It isn't likely to woo them to his goodness and grace if all we do is shout verses at people or cut off conversation by just saying, the Bible says that that settles it. But there is an equal and opposite folly that I think um, we run into where we sort of adopt the attitude, the very Canadian attitude of like, what's good for you is good for you. I don't want to push any of my agenda or any of my beliefs onto anyone. So I'm not even going to talk about my faith. I don't want to be perceived as somebody who's pushy or who's, um, you know, requiring anything of anybody else. So I'm just, I'm just like not even going to talk about it. Uh, Relegating our faith to something that's only private and only personal is not the answer either. Because the encouragement that Peter gives here is to be ready to give an answer when people ask. 
but do it with gentleness and respect. Like I often take the opportunity to share with friends what God has done in my life, what Jesus means to me, but I do it when they ask, when they're curious. I look for those moments where it's like, oh, they're they're asking about church or they're asking about, you know, they're asking about like how I ended up in ministry or they're asking some of those questions. And so I'll look for the moment to share like, oh, it's because of what I've I've experienced in Jesus. It's because of the peace and the forgiveness that I I now have. And hopefully when I share those things, it just increases the curiosity, that it doesn't shut down conversation, that that it somehow, you know, doesn't come across as demanding that they believe the same things, but that it opens up an invitation that they might want to know more about who Jesus is. Multiple people that I know, most of the people I know actually, have had many uh, of those sort of conversations and uh, introductions to Jesus, those positive moments and encounters with, with him and his people, they've had multiple ones of those before they ever make a decision to follow him. It's not about getting somebody to make a decision to follow Jesus every time we bring up his name. It's, it's about helping people see him more clearly and, and maybe perhaps take another step towards him and his kingdom. It's being ready to have an answer for the hope that we have and doing it with gentleness and respect. At least that's how I read Peter's encouragement. That, and it seems to be the way that God most effectively works in my life when it comes to sharing my faith. That I'm not scared to talk about Jesus or I'm not ashamed of what he's done in my life. But when somebody's curious, I'm ready to give an answer. But I wait for them to ask. I don't go pushing it into people's lives if they're not ready to hear it yet. I try to be ready to give an answer for the hope that I have when someone asks. And there's that word hope again, right? We're going to hear it woven all the way through this letter. Um, Peter closes with this reminder that like while we, while we suffer, if we suffer for doing good, that we're in good company. That, that Jesus has also suffered and his suffering has led to our salvation. That, that victory over all authorities belongs to Jesus is kind of where he lands at the end of that chapter. It's helpful to remember that Peter is writing to people who are likely suffering at the hands of the authorities. You know, Christianity is not yet the, you know, dominant religion of the Roman Empire. In fact, it's being actively suppressed and tried, they're attempting to stamp it out altogether. So the powers that be are against these believers. And Peter reminds them to just continue walking in the way of Jesus, continue to to do good, to not repay evil with evil. But even when you suffer for doing good, even when people slander and speak poorly about you, they're going to one day be ashamed because Jesus has won the victory. One day those authorities are going to be ashamed because when the king steps in to his rightful place, they're going to realize that they have fallen short. Jesus suffered at the hands of the very same empire, the same empire that persecutes them and put Jesus on the cross. But that suffering led to some redemption. And one day those who suffer will know the perfect peace of Jesus' kingdom. So don't give up. Don't give into the pressure to be just like the empire. Don't fall back into the old ways of living. Don't turn to the dark side is what Peter is encouraging the people. He's saying, do good. Tell your story. When people ask why you have hope, tell them about Jesus. Tell them why you follow him. Tell of the goodness of God. And there's, there's some examples that he uses in there and some phrases that seem kind of odd. He talks about Noah and the flood and baptism being the thing that saves us and, and Jesus preaching to those who are imprisoned. Um, what does that mean that he, you know, he, he proclaimed to the imprisoned spirits from back in the days of Noah? Uh, 
1 Peter 3.19 is one of those sort of confusing passages. And so uh, if you've wrestled with it or you've been thinking about it, here's the short answer to what this verse means. No idea. I have no idea. There is literally no academic consensus on the meaning of 1 Peter 3.19. The original language is so complex and complicated that there's sort of a few different ways you could go with that passage. It's possible that it means that like literally Jesus went into the underworld, whether that's hell, Gehenna, Sheol, Hades, that he went and liberated those or spoke to proclaim the good news to those who had been disobedient before the flood, basically giving them a second chance. It could be just an allegorical sort of painting a picture of God's great patience for his people and that there's always going to be opportunity for people to turn and understand that Jesus is Lord. That tying the flood to baptism and purifying waters, that that's what that's about. That it wasn't necessarily declaring that it's baptism only that saves you, but we've we've stumbled across some of these things throughout the centuries and formed theologies around them. And the, the truth is, it's just, it's not clear enough with the original language for us to plant our flag very firmly in, in any ground when it comes to this. It's one of those things that you'll maybe want to ask Peter uh, when we get to the other side. And th- that's what I love about this text. That's what I love about the Bible is we, we wrestle with it, we dig into it, and then there's always something more to learn or something more to have uh, pique our curiosity and recognize the creativity and the beauty of God that we have the Bible that we have. But it's not worth getting lost in the weeds over or building an entire theology around one particular verse. Because the point of the overall passage is to realize that God has suffered alongside us, alongside his creation, and that that suffering has led to victory. And so in the suffering that we endure, we know that one day we're going to come through it. One day we will too experience that victory. Whether we see some of it here on earth in the here and now, or whether we taste it when we step into eternity. For all those who follow him, they will experience the same victory that Jesus has. And we'll talk more about that next week doing good while we endure suffering and what it means for us to be suffering faithfully. But for today, would would these words sink into your heart? Would they ring through your soul, especially through the rest of this week? Would they become so embedded in you that they leak out into every aspect of your life? Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Do good. Love one another. Be compassionate. Be humble. Do good, not evil. Don't repay evil with evil, but rather with blessing. Do good. And in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Would those passages just sink into our hearts, especially this week, that we would do good and we would tell our story to anyone who asks why we have the hope that we have. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about his goodness and grace. Tell them about how you have found forgiveness and peace. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks and do it with gentleness and respect. Do good and tell your story. Let's pray. God, I am I'm so thankful for this letter and the encouragement it would have been for those early believers, those brothers and sisters of ours from so long ago. I can only imagine how they would have felt 
because I know how much these words have come to mean to me. Would we be people who live in harmony with one another, who, who seek the peace and pursue it, to be people of compassion and humility, that we'd let our light shine wherever we are? Would we be people that help others be curious about Jesus because of the change or difference they see in us? May they ask questions, and would we, by your Spirit, be able to give an answer for the hope that we have? Would, would you draw them even closer to you? And even in our suffering and trials, even when we're persecuted for doing good, would we be the kind of people that spill goodness and grace around us? Would our words and deeds reflect the transforming power of Jesus in our lives? We love you. We want to be conduits of your grace today. So would you move in and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us, for Church at Home, wherever you're watching from. Next week is our best summer yet grand finale. We're doing church out at Manhattan Beach, out at camp. So if you'd like to join us down at camp for the long weekend, you can book accommodations through Manhattan's website. That link's on our website if you head over to gracewinnipeg.ca. If you want to just come down for the Sunday and enjoy the service and then some food and fun with us throughout the rest of the day, there's going to be a bunch of us down there together on the Sunday. There's a place for you to register for that on our website if you'd like to hop on the bus and catch a ride down or carpool with some friends down there. Um, if you're not able to make it, we are going to still have church at home. We're going to have uh, a watch party at 280 Karen on the Sunday morning as well. There won't be a kids ministry for that day because we uh, will have the team with us down at camp. But we hope you have an amazing weekend as we wrap up the best summer yet that we would uh, lean into what God has for us. And until we see you again, may the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. The love of God be reflected in your hands. The wisdom of God be reflected in your words. And the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and seeing believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace to you.